the examination of Maha Sakuludai Sutta. And we've been discussing the what are called the 37 Bodhi Pakya Dhammas. These are the different states which are conducive to enlightenment or we can call them the aids to enlightenment or the agents of enlightenment. And last time we had explained as far as the five indriyas, the five faculties. And now we come to the five powers, anshabala. And these factors are exactly the same as the five faculties. That is, it's the power of faith, the power of energy, the power of mindfulness, power of concentration, and the power of wisdom. And so the question maybe comes up, if they're exactly the same, then why are two different lists presented? One a list of five faculties, one a list of five powers. The reason, according to the commentators, is that even though the five states are mentioned in both lists, each of these categories has a different implication or a different significance. The category of indriya means exercising control, exercising domination. And so the five faculties are so-called because they exercise control or a dominating influence in a particular sphere of, you say, the spiritual life. We can say that each one exercises domination in, firstly, in the task of overcoming the opposite quality. For example, faith in overcoming skepticism and doubt, energy in overcoming laziness or torpor, mindfulness in overcoming negligence, um, concentration and overcoming distractedness and wisdom in overcoming delusion. But even after these defilements are completely overcome, the five faculties still remain as faculties. And here we can just say that they exercise a controlling influence over all of the associated mental states. So that when faith has arisen, then it is sort of dominating and controlling the entire state of mind and making it subservient to the function of faith. When there's energy, then energy is subordinating all the mental states to the work of energy, and so on for the others. Okay, that is the basic meaning of the faculties. But the meaning of bala or power is unshakable 
by the opposite quality. It's a quality which is unshakable or which cannot be vanquished by the opposite quality. And so faith, the power of faith, means faith insofar as it cannot be vanquished or shaken by doubt. Very, the power of energy, virya, that is energy insofar as it can, cannot be shaken or overcome by laziness and so on. Mindfulness, concentration, wisdom, the power of wisdom, that is wisdom insofar as it cannot be overcome or vanquished by ignorance, by delusion. Now maybe the question is, comes up from time to time, do these two sets indicate two different stages? The faculties being the five qualities at an early stage, and then later when they get strengthened and become powerful, do they become transformed into the five balas, the five powers? Sometimes that interpretation has been advanced, but the general position, it seems, in the suttas even, is that there's no distinction of stages between the two, such that we can say the five indriyas exist at an early stage, later the five powers exist. But rather, all the way through, from beginning to end, it's the same five qualities which are just described from two different points of view. In this one sutta, the Buddha uses a simile He uses a simile of a river which is flowing and in the middle of a river there is an island. And so if one asks whether the stream of the river is one or two, then all one could answer is that it depends on point of view. If you're standing at one end of the island looking upstream or downstream, then one says that there is one that the stream of the river is one. But you just see the river the river flowing down or the river flowing away. But if you're standing on one side of the island, east or west side, looking at the river, then you would say the streams are two, because the river is divided in the middle by the island. And so in the same way the Buddha says, depending on perspective, you can say that faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, wisdom, are either one thing, either faculties or powers, or you can say that they are both, both faculties and powers. And so there's no real distinction between them. Okay, now we come to the next set, which is given special importance in the suttas. Even there's a whole chapter in the Samyutta Nikaya, 
devoted exclusively to this topic, that is the seven bojangis, the seven factors of enlightenment. These factors are mindfulness, sati, then something called dhamma vichaya, which we can translate investigation of phenomena. Then comes virya energy, piti, joy, pasati, tranquility, calmness, then samadhi, concentration, and upeka, equanimity. Now, in the case of these seven factors of enlightenment, the way they're explained in the suttas, there's, at least in some cases, there's definitely a kind of sequence of development that takes place. Not that one replaces the other, but they rather build up and gain prominence in sequence. And so when the Buddha one finds the sequence explained particularly in the Anapanasati Sutta and also in the Anapanasati Samyutta. And so the sequence begins with mindfulness. Also the sequence is explained in the Bojanga Samyutta. One begins with mindfulness. So here one takes up a particular subject of meditation a particular dhamma to be practiced and one begins cultivating mindfulness in, or one arouses mindfulness in order to develop that object or subject of meditation. Okay, now the second factor Dhamma-vichaya is identified with Panya, with wisdom or with understanding except the way that this factor is explained in the suttas it indicates that it's wisdom in a rather early or elementary stage of development. When the Buddha defines what is Dhamma Vitya, what is the investigation of phenomena, he says that it is the investigation of phenomena of Dhammas, mental states, to determine what is wholesome, what is unwholesome, what is a dark quality, what is a bright quality? What are the qualities that lead to progress, growth and development? And which are the qual- what are the qualities that obstruct progress and development? And so here one exercises the faculty of wisdom by investigating the different states 
in one's own mind that arise when one is developing this meditation subject with mindfulness. And as one investigates one's mind, then one will see certain qualities which are hindrances or obstructive to development. Those are the qualities that have to be restrained and abandoned. And when one investigates again with wisdom, then one will see the seeds of certain virtuous and good qualities. These are the qualities that are purifying and that one has to repeatedly arouse, develop, sustain and perfect. And so one has to, first one is mindful. As one becomes more mindful of the meditation subject, say the mindfulness of the breath, mindfulness of the bodily posture, mindfulness of movement, of any subject of meditation, then one is also becoming more aware of one's mental processes, the states of mind. Then one uses this investigation of phenomena to investigate those states of mind and to distinguish them, to discriminate amongst them in order to determine which are bad, which are good, which are to be developed, which are to be abandoned. Then the next enlightenment factor is virya, that is energy. And here energy is applied in order to exercise these four operations of right effort, these four functions of right effort. So even though just in the seven factors of enlightenment, energy is just mentioned as one factor of enlightenment, but one should understand that this one factor is performing the four functions of right effort. So in this way, one gets right effort pulled into the development of the seven factors of enlightenment. Okay, that then as one's energy increases, <coughs> it goes through certain stages, certain levels of strength. And so in explaining the Bojangas, the Buddha distinguishes three stages in the arousing of energy. First, there's the stage when one awakens the energy, or just initiates the undertaking, arouses the energy. This is called the stage of arousing. Then, as energy gains in strength, then it acquires a certain quality of persistence. That is, it's not the case any longer that one's effort goes up and down, up and down, but rather the effort becomes steady and persistent. But there's still something of a struggle taking place. 
But then there comes a stage in the developing of energy where it becomes <coughs> unshaken energy, unvanquishable energy, unwavering energy. This is called technically it's called parakamada, parakamada, the stage of exertion, we can call it. So we have the stage of arousal, the stage of persistence, the stage of exertion, keen exertion. Then as the mind starts to become pure and steady through the practice of energetic mindfulness, then there arises a joy in the practice, a gladness. This is the quality of piti, joy or delight. And delight gets stronger and stronger, more and more powerful, and then the joy starts to settle and to subside. At first, the joy is a little disturbing because it's like an excitement, a kind of bliss or it's like an ecstasy or exhilaration. But as one continues to sustain practice through mindfulness and with investigation, one sees that that exciting and exhilarating aspect of joy is something of an obstruction because the mind loses the ability to concentrate because it's carried away by that joy and delight. And so one starts to, or makes a deliberate effort to cool off that heat of joy and delight to make it subside and then one comes into the next factor of enlightenment, which is pasadi. This is tranquility or serenity. Then as serenity or tranquility increases and becomes more and more prominent, then the mind becomes more and more one-pointed, more and more focused until it enters into a state of samadhi, concentration. That is the sixth factor of enlightenment. And then as concentration becomes deeper and stronger, then Another factor becomes prominent. This is upeka, equanimity. That is the seventh factor of enlightenment. And there seems to be a certain connection or parallel here, I would say, between the development. This is never made explicit in the text. I'm not even sure whether it's correct, <coughs> but there's, 
a certain parallel between the development of the seven bojangas and the sequence and the attainment of jhana. <coughs> and that one has in the attainment of jhana, in the lower two jhanas one has piti, which one finds as the fourth factor of enlightenment. Then in the third jhana, piti fades away and samadhi becomes more prominent. And then in the fourth jhana, even sukhavedana fades away and one has upeka. So there's a certain parallel <coughs> parallelism here. <coughs> but I, I don't think it can be pushed very far because it seems that the bojangas especially are to be developed in the context of developing insight or vipassana, whereas the jhanas figure more prominently the, in the development of samatha. So I think one can definitely have all seven bojangas even when one is not developing jhana. Because just understand that a certain prominence or a progression takes place from the earlier stages where Kriti is dominant to the final stage where Upeka is dominant. And also in the seven bojangas there's a certain distinction or we make a classification of the seven factors into two groups. The, I would put the first three into one group which one can call the causal set, the causal group. Then the second four into another group which we can call the results or the fruits, not in the sense of the color, but just the results of the practice. So when one is developing the seven bojangas, what one is really doing, practicing, is mindfulness and effort, making an effort in the practice of mindfulness, using Panya, discrimination or investigation to discriminate, to distinguish what are the unwholesome states which are to be removed, what are the wholesome states to be developed. And so these three work exactly in close conjunction, in inseparable conjunction, mindfulness, investigation and effort, energy. Then through this work of these three together, then there will arise piti, that is rapture or joy. One doesn't have to make the effort to develop, one can't make the effort to develop rapture. One makes the effort to develop sati or mindfulness and when the mindfulness is strengthened then piti, joy, arises on its own. 
then one doesn't make an effort to develop um, to develop tranquility but when the piti becomes prominent then one makes an effort to restrain that exciting, exhilarating aspect of piti. One makes an effort just to be mindful of the object and not to become attached and to latch on to that rapture and joy. And then just through being mindful of the object, letting the piti go its own way, then the piti settles down on its own. And when the piti settles down, then tranquility or serenity sets in. And then it's not through a deliberate effort that one, or an act of will, that one makes the mind concentrated, that one gains samadhi, but rather one makes the effort just to keep the sati, the mindfulness, unbroken, continuous and steady. Then through the continuity, the steadiness of mindfulness, then the mind remains fixed on the object, undistracted from the object, and in this way the mind becomes concentrated. And then again one doesn't make the effort or a deliberate, one doesn't make a deliberate act of will to make the mind equanimous, but rather just through continuing to examine the object with mindfulness, then equanimity sets in on its own. So in that way we have this grouping of the factors into the three, two, into the two different classes. In the suttas, the Buddha himself divides the seven factors of enlightenment into two groups in a somewhat different way. He divides them into two sets of three. One he calls the factors which arouse or uplift the mind, we could say. These are three factors, investigation, energy, and joy. Two, three, and four. Then, on the opposite side, there are three factors which make the mind quiet and still. Those are tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. And so we have these two sets with three in each, and mindfulness, the Buddha says, does not fall into either of the two sets, but rather mindfulness is what overlooks the mind, or what 
Mindfulness is what balances the mind, keeps the two sets of opposing factors in balance and harmony. It's mindfulness which doesn't allow the activating factors, the three activating factors, to get too active so that the mind becomes restless and excited and disturbed. And mindfulness doesn't let the quieting factors, that is tranquility, concentration and equanimity, it doesn't allow these quieting factors to get too laid back, too quiet, so that the mind becomes sluggish and inactive. But mindfulness is somewhat like the charioteer who controls the horses of the chariot, making sure that one set of horses doesn't outstrip the other. So mindfulness holds them in balance. And the Buddha illustrates the relation between these two sets of factors. Again, he uses a very <laughs> nice simile. It says, it's like Suppose one has a blazing fire, a big blazing fire, and if one wants to, let's start off with, we have, we have a little fire, a small fire. If one wants to make the little fire blaze up into a big fire, then one wouldn't throw on it wet grass, water or cow dung. If one throws wet grass, water, cow dung on a small fire, what is going to happen? The fire will be extinguished, it will go out. So he says, if you want to make the little fire blaze into a big fire, then what do you do with it? What do you put on? <laughs> okay, dry grass or dry wood and dry cow dung. Then it will blaze up. So the Buddha says that is like when the mind is very quiet and still and it's tending to become sluggish. When one wants to arouse it, then one doesn't develop the enlightenment factors of tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. Rather, one develops the factors of energy, investigation, and rapture. Then, if one has a big blazing fire and one wants to make it smaller, then what does one put on it? Dry grass? Dry wood? <laughs> then one has to put water, wet grass, and wet cow dung. Then the big fire will settle down and become a moderate sized fire. So the Buddha says in the same way, when the mind is too active and becoming restless, then that is the time for cultivating tranquility, concentration, and equanimity.
Okay, that is the seven factors of enlightenment. And now the next set that we come to in the 37 Bodhipakyadamas, that is the Eightfold Noble Path, which consists of the eight factors of right view, right intention or right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And this is, of course, this is like the classical formulation of the Buddha's path, the formulation which is taken to be the most comprehensive and in which all the other factors can be included. And here we have right view coming first. Right view is actually the mental factor of what mental factor? What is the mental factor? That's just the Pali word for right view. It's wisdom or panya. But here I think the Buddha uses the expression right view in order to show Panya, even at a very early elementary stage, as the basic kind of understanding, the very fundamental understanding that one needs even to enter upon the teaching, to follow the teaching. Here, right view is just like the understanding of the place where one is starting from on the path, the understanding of the goal towards which one is moving, and it's the understanding, the way of practice that one has to follow. In fact, when the Buddha explains in the suttas what is right view, he explains it simply as knowledge or understanding of the Four Noble Truths. Where one is starting from is dukkha, suffering. Where one is going, that is the destination, the third noble truth, nibbana, the cessation of dukkha. What is the big obstacle that keeps one tied to dukkha? That is the second noble truth, craving or tanha. And what is the way one has to follow to become free from dukkha, to achieve the cessation of dukkha? to eradicate craving, that is the Noble Eightfold Path itself. So we find even at the very beginning, right view coming first. Oh, <laughs> that's We find right at the very beginning, right view. Because right view is like the eye, the power of vision, by which one sees the whole course of practice one has to follow, one sees the general contours of the teaching. And then as the practice advances, it is a continual process of refining, sharpening, and strengthening that right view until it turns into actual direct understanding direct knowledge. 
then when right view arises, it gives rise to right thought or right intention. And the Buddha explains this as the intention of renunciation, the intention of absence of ill will, say the intention of goodwill, benevolence, and the intention of harmlessness or non-injury. And this is the way right view shapes one's purposes, one's ideals, one's motivations. When one has the right understanding of one's own suffering, that moves one in the direction away from sensual enjoyment, away from worldly pleasure, in the, and pushes you into the direction of renunciation, detachment, um, relinquishment. And when one contemplates the universality of suffering and sees all other beings caught in suffering, then one doesn't wish them any harm, any kind of affliction, but rather one's attitude and intention is directed towards goodwill and harmlessness. This really means, in effect, metta and karuna. Okay, so based on right view and right intention, then one undertakes to purify one's conduct. Right, that brings in right speech, right action, and right livelihood. Then, based on this sila of these three middle factors, then one begins to cultivate the mind, to train the mind. And to train the mind, that brings about the interplay of the three factors, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. Actually here we can say right effort and right mindfulness, those are the two causal factors. And then right concentration is what results from energetic, the, from the energetic factors of mindfulness. Then when right concentration is perfected, then it gives rise to two other qualities which are not actually included in the Eightfold Path. This is called, these are called right knowledge, samanyana. This would be the actual direct knowledge of the Four Noble Truths. And right liberation, samabhimuti. This is the liberation of the mind from defilements, or we could say the destruction of the defilements. 
Okay, so then if we look now with the Noble Eightfold Path, we have right effort. And what is right effort? But when we want to explain right effort, what do we bring in? It's energy, but to analyze the practice of right effort, to treat it analytically. Excuse me? You're on the right track, but just put the point more simply. And that's too compl- making it too complicated. No. The, the practice of right effort. Oh, okay. The four right efforts. So when we t- take right effort in the Noble Eightfold Path, then we bring in the four right efforts. So in this way you could see the way these Bodhipakya Dhammas, they intersect with each other. Then the practice of right mindfulness, how does one explain right mindfulness? Excuse me? Right. When one explains it, then one brings in the four foundations of mindfulness. So when one mentions the Noble Eightfold Path, then one gets the four foundations of mindfulness coming in under right effort. The four right efforts coming in under right effort. The four foundations of mindfulness under right mindfulness. Then the right concentration is explained as the four jhanas. That's not it. We won't go into that right now. Anyway, so that's the way that sort of inter intersect with each other. Okay, now having covered all of these thirty-seven factors of enlightenment, thirty-seven aids to enlightenment. Now I'm going to treat them in a somewhat different way. It's good if everybody copies this down because I want to erase it and then show a different way. <laughs> Maybe I'll leave this on and um, I'll just explain and maybe it's good if you, if those who are taking notes, can take notes on the basis of what I say. Okay, there are certain factors here amongst these 37 factors of enlightenment. Certain factors occur only one time each amongst this list of 37. And there are nine of these factors. First, in the four bases of spiritual power, one has desire, and mind, chanda chitta, those only mentioned one time. Then in the seven factors of enlightenment, one has piti, that is joy, and upeka, 
only one time. They don't occur anywhere else in the 30 seconds. Then in the Noble Eightfold Path, one has right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood. Those only occur once. Okay, amongst the enlightenment factors, pasadi, tranquility or serenity, that's mentioned only once. Okay, so the, the bojangas, piti, pasadi, upeka. Okay, then there are, there's one factor which is mentioned only twice. That is faith, sada. It's mentioned only as a faculty and a power. It's not mentioned in the other list. Then there's one which is mentioned four times. This is concentration, samadhi. Concentration is mentioned as a faculty that is where concentration is mentioned as a main factor. But we also have concentration in a secondary role in the four bases of spiritual power. But there it's subordinated to those other four states. Okay, then there is one factor which is mentioned five times. This is wisdom, panya. Wisdom is mentioned as a basis of spiritual power. It's called vimangsa, investigation. as a faculty and a power it's mentioned in its own name Panyindriya Panyabala then wisdom is mentioned amongst the seven enlightenment factors under the name Dhammavichya investigation of phenomena then wisdom is mentioned in the Noble Eightfold Path under what name? Under what name? Right view, samadhi. Okay, then there is another factor which counts for eight bodhipatta, eight requisites of enlightenment, eight aids to enlightenment. What is that factor? 
It's always mentioned under its own name. Mindfulness, sati. First we have it four times as the four foundations of mindfulness. Then it's mentioned as a faculty, a power, as the first factor of enlightenment, and as right mindfulness of the Noble Eightfold Path. So, if one collapses the four foundations of mindfulness into one, then we could say it's mentioned five times. But if one spreads them out, then we get eight mentions of mindfulness. And then we have one factor which is mentioned nine times. What is that factor? What is mentioned nine times? Effort or energy. We have it four times as right effort, then as a base of spiritual power, faculty, power, as one of the seven factors of enlightenment, and as right effort in the Noble Eightfold Path. And so if we sort of take an overview of this, all of these 37 Bodhipakya Dhammas, it seems, as I mentioned when we started this, that really the four most important factors, not that the others are dispensable, but the four repetitive factors are concentration, wisdom, mindfulness, and energy. So then what we have in effect is that one, of course one needs sada to begin the practice, and when there's sada faith, then one will undertake the observance of the precepts, that is sila, right speech, right action, right livelihood. So that is just the indispensable basis for the entire practice. Faith accompanied by the observance of morality or the observance of virtue. Then one applies energy to that special practice taught by the Buddha, the four foundations of mindfulness. As Mindfulness develops, then it brings increasing samadhi, concentration, and when concentration is steady and secure, then one investigates and examines one's experience, and through that investigation and examination, there will come insight or wisdom, panya. So that is we would say the basic outline of the whole practice. So we could actually put the whole 37 factors of enlightenment. So we could say that like the basic structure for the 37 Bodhi, Bodhipakya Dhammas, the basic framework into which they can all be fit is something like this. We have at the very base, faith, 
which gives rise on the one hand to the preliminary right view or fundamental right view and also to right intention or right thought and to the observance of the sila. We can call all of these together the legs mm. of the path. Even though <laughs> one would like to have two legs, but maybe this is like maybe an insect with one, two, three, four, five, with six legs. Then based standing upon the legs, we have the body of the path, which is effort, mindfulness, working together to bring concentration. And under effort, we have the four right efforts under mindfulness, four foundations of mindfulness. And together they bring concentration. Then from concentration there arises the head, the peak, the pinnacle, the crown of the path, which is wisdom or panya. Then we can fit the other factors which only come one time. They can fit in in the appropriate places. For example, chanda and chitta, that's desire and mind. Since those are means for gaining concentration, they can be brought in under concentration. And since piti, that's joy, upeka, those grow out of increasing concentration, those also can be brought under concentration. Okay, maybe that will conclude this discussion of the 37 requisites of enlightenment. Then we're now in paragraph 21 of the, the sutta. The Buddha says, in the case of each of these sets, that there are many disciples of mine who have reached the consummation and perfection of direct knowledge in these. Okay, are there any questions that come out from this discussion? Okay, if there's no questions, then it must be that everything is crystal clear. <laughs>